All right, we're going to be continuing in our series in the Gospel of Matthew. We're starting Matthew chapter 11 today, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 19. Um, before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about um, mission statements. So that's something that, uh, that churches certainly have, that, uh, that businesses have, even some people write their own personal mission statements. Um, and, and so I thought I'd just throw a couple up there, because sometimes they don't quite match up, right? Sometimes if you just saw a company's mission statement, you wouldn't quite know who it is. So I want to put a mission statement up. I don't, you don't need to shout out, but we'll just consider in your mind, think about who it could be, and then we'll see how, how close you might get. So to inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. That one has a little clue in it uh, with, with the cup on there, but that's, that's Starbucks. You know, you know how they inspire and nurture the human spirit? <laughs> I mean, every time you walk in there, you just feel inspired and nurtured in your soul. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. To be a company that inspires and fulfills your curiosity. Boy, what could that be? That's Sony. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would say something more like uh, to make electronics, but, you know, um, to enable people and businesses throughout the world to realize their full potential. Maybe some kind of self-help guru or something. Nope, that's Microsoft. That's Microsoft, yes. Yeah, they do help me fulfill my full potential, yeah. Uh, to give people the power to share and make the world more open and connected. Believe it or not, that's Facebook. You know how it makes the world more open and connected? It's not dividing us at all, No. Yeah, that's making it more open and connected. So you see, sometimes, sometimes what, what a company says they do and what they actually do aren't really quite, don't really quite match up. That's certainly true for people. You've met people who, who say they have these certain values or say that they value certain things and that doesn't quite match up with what they actually do, how they actually live their lives. And, and so what we're going to see today in today's passage is Jesus really challenged that notion. He's going to challenge the crowds that are following to consider what does someone just say they do versus what do they actually do? What are the results of their life? And we'll start off with verses 1 through 6. Shall we look for another? It says this, When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So what we see here at the beginning of this verse, the beginning of this passage, when it says, when Jesus had finished instructing his disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. This is Jesus is going on tour, right? He's sending his disciples out ahead of him. And remember, they're, they're instructed to uh, proclaim the kingdom and do miraculous good, right? They're meant to go and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and then they're going to be healing people and casting out demons, and he's empowered them to do all these things. They're going ahead of him. He's coming behind teaching and preaching in the cities. So this is his... His ministry method, and it's actually still a solid ministry method today, to go out and do good 
in the name of the kingdom, in the name of Jesus, and then come behind with the full message. It's actually still a solid ministry strategy, and it's what Jesus does here with the disciples. He sends them out to do good, to bless the people in the name of the king, and then the king comes behind with his message. And so often that is what we, what we should do. We should go and, and do good, bring the blessings of the kingdom, and then bring the message of the kingdom. And, and so he's going out and he's doing these things. And as they're doing this, John's disciples come up to him and they have a question for him. Uh, they bring it, bring, brought a question from John. And it's, it's basically, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? So the one who is to come is John's phrase for the Messiah. Right? It goes by a lot of different names in the Old Testament. It can be Son of David. It can be the Anointed One, Messiah. The Christ is actually just another, another word for the Messiah. We, we always say Jesus Christ as though it's like his last name, but it's really a title. Right? It's not his last name. Um, it's, it's the title that he is the Christ, the Promised One, the Anointed One. And so that's what John's asking. He's saying, is this, are you this one that we've been waiting for? Are you the one that the, the, all the scriptures prophesy about? Are you this one that we've been looking for, we've been waiting for? Because John, even in prison, he's still focused on God and, and on God's mission and the mission that God, God gave him, which is to proclaim the kingdom, to draw people to repentance. So he's on the lookout because he's eager. Even he's been locked up, he still knows just the fact that he's been locked up doesn't mean this is over. And so he wants to know, are you the one that we've been waiting for? And Jesus' response is, tell John what you hear and see, right? Tell John what you see and hear. And then he, he lists off, here are the things that you see and hear. And the thing that I want us to notice here is that as they received this list, as, as the, the, the disciples would have received this list, they would have gone back and told it to John. As they were telling him these things, the words of Isaiah would have been ringing in John's ears, and I'll show you what I mean. So he says to tell them, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the lepers are cleansed. And John may have heard Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame, the, then the, shall the lame leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. Isaiah 35. He says, tell him the dead are raised. And again, he may have heard Isaiah chapter 26. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. He told, him to tell, he told them to tell him the good news is preached to the poor. And this is the passage that, that Jesus started his ministry with, Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord Yahweh is upon me because Yahweh has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And he told them to tell John, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And again, he may have heard Isaiah chapter 8, 14 and 15. He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. 
So you can see this is an instance where for us, Western readers, reading thousands of years after the fact, we go, why doesn't Jesus just say yes? You know, we're like, John asks him, are you the Messiah? He tells him, go tell him what you hear and see. We go, no, Jesus, just say yes. We really love it if you just said yes, and, and we could just see it right there. Are you the Messiah? Yes. That would be fantastic. We'd quote that all day. Right? But in John's mind, this is a better, a more emphatic yes than if he had said, yes, I am. Right? This is a, a better yes than yes. This is a better yes than a simple yes, I am. Because what he's telling him is he's pointing him back to the scriptures, the very scriptures that John is asking about. John is asking, are you the one that's going to fulfill these scriptures? And he goes, go show him how I've fulfilled them. So this is a more emphatic yes than we could have hoped for. We're just not reading it with John's mind. We're not reading it. We're not hearing it the way John heard it where he would know these scriptures. He would have been drenched in these scriptures. He would have known it backwards and forwards. These would have been jumping to his mind as they said these things. He would have been hearing the words of Isaiah coming out of his disciples' mouth as they said these things. But John's question is really not that different than our question. Because John's question is, are you the one, are you the one we've been waiting for or should we look for another and for every person that comes to Jesus, that's ultimately the, the question we have to wrestle with. Are you the answer to my problems? Are you the one who can solve the trouble in my life? Are you the one that can fix me? And the answer is the same. What do you hear and see? The answer is ultimately the same as what do you experience from Jesus? What do you see from Jesus? How, what has he done in your life? Because ultimately, there's no way to know for sure unless you try it, unless you step out in faith and start to follow Jesus and see what is it actually like to follow Jesus? How does it actually go? That's why something like Psalm 34, verse 8 tells us, Oh, taste and see that Yahweh is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. He says, taste and see. You've got to try it. Or have you ever been out to eat with somebody and they, they order something you've never had before? A food you've never tried? And you go, well, what is that like? What, is that, what does that taste like? Is it good? And they might be able to, just they may say, I, yeah, I really like it. Actually, this is my favorite dish here. And, uh, and they might even be able to tell you, oh, yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's sweet, but also savory. It's kind of smoky. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really good. It's really good. Um, I think you'd like it. You, you might have a, some kind of idea in your mind of what it's like. You might have an idea whether you'd like it or not. But until you reach your fork across the table and take a little bite, you're not going to know. It's the same with God. You're not going to know until you step out in faith. You're not going to know what it's like to really follow him, what it's like to really give your life to him. We'll continue here. Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 through 15. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out to, into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. He is, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, 
who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. So why, is, why does Jesus feel the need here to pause and address John the Baptist? Right, he's just told, reported to John's disciples, clearly there were crowds around him when this happened. Right, there's, there's a crowd gathered, the disciples come up, they go, hey, John wants to know, are you the one? And then he tells them his answer, then they go away. And now the crowd is standing there, and he, and he starts to address John the Baptist. Why? Because John was controversial. John was a controversial figure at this point. And you can imagine, as these disciples go away, the murmurs in the crowd. are like, oh, that's John's guys. Oh, that's John the Baptist. Oh, the guy who's in prison? Yeah, he's the guy in prison. And they're all murmuring about it. And Jesus goes, okay, i got to address this. And he starts to talk about John directly. And he, he's doing it in a confrontational way, right? He says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? Because he knows all these people. They all went out to see John. It was a, he was the thing to go see for a while. He was the number one show. Like, let's go see the guy in the desert. What's he, what's he up to out there? And so he starts to address this because John's a controversial guy. First of all, he was already, before he was arrested, he was a, a strange dude. He was living in the wilderness, eating, eating uh, locusts and honey, wearing a hair shirt with a belt. Um, and, and, but bigger than that, he didn't hold back from calling people out on their sin, right? He would just address it head on. Um, and he called out everybody, from commoners to the authorities. He called out everybody. And, and remember that Jesus began his ministry right when John got arrested. So John, Jesus goes to John to be baptized. Then he goes into the wilderness. He comes back out of the wilderness after 40 days, and John's been arrested. And then Jesus starts his ministry. So that all happened right at the same time there. This is not that long ago. Um, and the reason John had been arrested was because he had called out sin in and authority. He had called out the sin of Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee. Here's what Herod had done. So Herod, um, this, is not Her this is not the same Herod that was ruling when Jesus was born. This is his son. And, and that Herod had three sons, one of whom was named Herod, one of whom was named Philip. The third is not in our story today, so I forgot it. Um, but he had these three sons, and he divided up the, his, his region among these guys. Well, Herod goes to see his brother Philip. He goes to stay with his brother Philip for a while. And he sees his brother's wife, and he's like, she's looking pretty good to me. And, and they strike up a relationship. He, Herod divorces his wife so he can marry Philip's wife, and he does that. On top of that, this wife, her name is Herodias, She's both of their niece. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, so, so John calls this out. He's like, this is all messed up. You shouldn't be doing any of this, right? And, and the thing was, people would come in and essentially bait him into this. They would, you know, go to see John, and they'd be baptized for repentance and all that good stuff, and somebody in the back goes, hey, what do you think about Herod? Yeah. What do you think about his new wife? And, and they're gonna, he's going to tell them what he thinks, because it's wrong. 
and he's the man in authority. He shouldn't be doing these things. He's going to tell him what's wrong with this situation. And so that's how he ends up getting arrested for calling out this clearly messed up situation, right? This obviously um, sinful situation. So Jesus is going to take this controversy head on because he's going, okay, what did you go to see? What, you, you're all mumbling about John now. You now think he's a bad guy for some reason. You're, you, you are criticizing him now. But what did you think you were going to see when you went out there? What did you think you were going to go see when you went out into the wilderness to see this guy? Did you think you were going to see a reed shaken by the wind? And what does he mean by that? He means two, there's two things that means. One is a reed um, shaken by the wind was meant to signify the most common of sights, right? Along the Jordan, there's reeds everywhere. And so he's saying like, you're not going to take a trek out to the Jordan to see a reed. There's reeds everywhere, okay? But he specifies a reed shaken by the wind because that's how reeds stay up, right? Reed stays upright by just swaying. The wind blowing this way, they're going to sway this way. The wind's blowing this way, they're going to sway this way. And then that's the way they stay in place, is that they're very flexible, right? They can, they can bend and, and shake with any wind that blows in any direction. That's how they stay up. And he goes, John's not that guy. He's not going to just be swayed by whoever is in charge or whoever pushes him. He's going to stay upright, and, he, and as a result... He's going to get knocked down because he's going to stand up for what's right. So he was never going to be the guy, the yes man who just bends to every whim. He's not a reed shaken by the wind. He's also not, he's also not a man in soft clothing. And this is to signify, he says, those in soft clothing live in king's houses. He's saying he's not a courtier. He's not a guy who's, who's going to bend to the whims of the king. Because a man in soft clothing lives in a king's house, and if you live in the king's house, if you have a position in the court, you're going to be a yes man to the king. You're going to say yes to whatever he's doing. You're not going to criticize him. You're going to say he's, he's the guy. He said, that's not who John is. He's the very, he can be further from that guy, right? That guy lives in the king's house, eats the king's food, dresses in the king's clothing. John lives in the wilderness, wears terrible clothes, eats terrible food. Right? He's not that guy. This is not who you went to see. You didn't go to see somebody who was going to bend to the whims of the king. You went to see a prophet, a messenger of God with the courage to deliver that message at all costs. And he says, you went to see more than a prophet because John was more than a prophet and he was a specific prophet. He was the forerunner to the Messiah that had been prophesied about. He was there to prepare the way for the Messiah. And Malachi Three, verse 1, it talks about this forerunner. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says Yahweh of hosts. This had been prophesied. And so Jesus declares, there had been no one greater than John the Baptist. He says, this man who was willing to live in these terrible conditions, stand up for what's right, stand up for what he, what he had been believed to deliver the message that God gave him and be arrested for it, there's no one greater than him. He served humbly and he served boldly in difficult conditions and was willing to go to prison for the sake of the king and his message. There's no one greater than him. But Jesus also wants to note, like, he's, he's saying these things and standing up for 
John and his reputation. But he also wants to emphasize the fact that this isn't, this isn't something that only John can do. He's saying the least in the kingdom is greater than he. He, he essentially says this is something, John's service isn't because he's so extraordinary. It's because he's willing to serve in this way. And anybody can do that. The least in the kingdom can do what John has done here. The least of the kingdom can serve the way that John had served the king. Those who serve the kingdom without demanding recognition and prestige are greater than him. Okay. Next we have to talk about verse 12. Uh, verse 12. Okay, I'll just read it again. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. And I'm going to be honest with you and say, tell you that nobody knows what that means. I'm not joking. Like, if you read commentaries, they'll be like, this is a difficult verse, and then they'll take their best stab at it. Some of them just jump over it, pretend it's not there. Okay? It's, it's a difficult verse to understand, especially the second half. The first half is pretty easy to understand. He's saying the, the, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. There are people that don't like it and that attack the kingdom of heaven, that, that are against it. What the violent take it by force means is a real head-scratcher. I mean, this live with that ambiguity like maybe you're going like oh actually chris i know what it means good for you 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 grab onto that keep it put it in your pocket good for you um it's too ambiguous there's too many translation issues and 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 uh problems with figuring out what exactly that means it possibly refers to the desperations of the crowds the desperation of the crowds to to get into the kingdom, to hear the, the fact that all these people are surrounding Jesus all the time and, and going after him. It's like people are desperate, refer to that desperation. Um, it might refer to that, but we don't really know. So there you go. And then he says that there's, the, the, he, he then talks about the fact that, that John the Baptist is possibly the return of Elijah. And he, he says, like, if you'll allow it, he is the Elijah who's to come. He essentially says, it, this isn't, this doesn't have, you don't have to accept this. It's kind of interesting the way Jesus says that, right? He says, like, if you'll accept it, he is Elijah who's to come. He's saying, like, we had, it had been prophesied that Elijah was going to return before the end. And he's saying, I'm telling you this is who it is, but if you don't want to believe it, it doesn't really matter. Right, that's kind of what he says there. But he's saying he is, this, he is a prophet in the model of Elijah. He is Elijah come back in that sense. That he's in the model of Elijah. He's doing the kinds of things that Elijah did. He is the, this prophecy fulfilled. We'll look last year at verses 16 through 19. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So 
it's, it's interesting the way this all goes down, right? We have the think back on this whole this whole scene. If you can picture the scene in your mind, that Jesus is talking with these crowds. John's disciples come up, lay this big question. Jesus answers them. Crowd's upset. He starts to address John, and really, it, like you guys don't understand. This guy's the greatest that ever was. Like you, you, you should be listening to him. And then, having defended John, now he's going to attack the crowd. Right now, he's going to levy some criticism on the crowd. Now he's like, "Okay, you want to criticize John? Here's what you're like." So he says, "What shall I compare this general? What shall I compare you all to?" And he says, "You're like these kids. You're childish. You're like children. You're like children playing a game." And he quotes a children's rhyme from his from this day. Right, that's what he's quoting there when he says this about yeah, we played a dirge and you did not mourn and all this. He's quoting back to them a children's rhyme. And he says, when the children say these rhymes, they don't mean it. They're not, they're not taking the dancing or mourning seriously. It's a game. And you're, you're living like this is a game. You're not listening to the message. You're, you're playing on this superficial level. Because they're level, leveling all this empty criticism. They're, they're criticizing all these things. They're finding something to criticize instead of listen to the message of John or Jesus, right? They're not listening to the forerunner or the Messiah. They're not listening to the message. They're finding these external things to criticize. They only had empty criticism for Jesus and John. They criticized John for his sobriety and his solemnity, right? That he was so serious. He's this strange guy and he's getting by on strange food, wearing strange clothes. And they use this strangeness and this sobriety and seriousness and and, and difficult words. He uses these, the, they use these, ex, these external things to invalidate his message. They go, because he's like this, nothing, we don't have to take him seriously. Right? Because he's like the, eating, do, doing these things, we don't need to take him seriously. They find a way to, to invalidate his message of repentance. They say he's demonic. And then they criticize Jesus for his parties and the companies that he keeps. Right, essentially say you go to these parties and you, you hang out with people that you shouldn't hang out with. That's what they criticize him for. They see him only as a man who hangs out with the wrong kind of people and eats and drinks with them. They're essentially saying, notice here, they're saying Jesus isn't religious enough for their liking. Jesus isn't religious enough for them. They're like, you don't, you don't keep... You don't fast enough. You don't really, you know, you don't pray the way we want you to. You hang out with the wrong kind of people, right? Jesus is, is in trouble for not being religious enough for them. And then John is in trouble for being too religious, right? Strangely enough, like, you get the same kind of criticism in the church to this day. You get the same kind of criticism in, this, in the church to this day. There are people that will call you out, that will call pastors out for either being like too serious or being like too like oh you're maybe you should back off from trying to reach the lost because you're hanging out with them a little too much you need to be some they have some kind of middle ground that they think you should be at so they use jesus's lack of religiosity to invalidate his call to god's word and what Jesus sums it up with is wisdom is justified by her deeds. He's saying you can talk all you want. You can have all these external things, these, all these external signs all you want. But like what do you actually do? 
What do you actually do? What actually is produced in your life? Like, you can say you think all these things, believe all these things, but what actually comes out of your life? They're focusing on the wrong things. They should be focusing on what John and Jesus are actually doing, what they're actually saying. It doesn't really matter what they consume or who they socialize with. Anyone can say the right things, but what do they actually do? Anyone can produce a, a veneer, but what do they actually make with their lives? What, is their li- what are the results of their lives? Jesus will say something similar in a few weeks in Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, where he says, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. So the question that he leaves us with is, what do you produce? What are the results of your faith? What do your beliefs cause you to do? Or is it all external? Is it all just lip service? What actually, if someone, so to go back to the beginning, if you were to write a mission statement for your life, would it match up with what you actually do during your life? Or if we put it on the screen and then I put your name up after it, would everyone laugh? Or, to put it another way, if someone had to observe you for a month and then they wrote a mission statement for you of here's, here's what we think they're trying to do, what would they write? We'll wrap up with this. Three takeaways for today. How should we then live? Number one, acknowledge Jesus for all that he is. Recognize that that, that beginning question of report back, what do you hear and see? What is Jesus? What, what has he done for you? Number two, be willing to serve humbly and boldly like John served. That's how John was the greatest, is the way that he served. He served in humility, he served in boldness, and so he was the greatest in the kingdom. But Jesus said that's available to us as well if we'll just be like him. And then lastly, consider what your actions say about what you believe. Maybe consider doing that mission, mission statement writing activity. Write it like, what would I want my mission statement for my life to be? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray that you would work in our hearts, God, to change us, to, to, to make the things we say we believe, the things that we even believe in our minds, that they would sink down into our lives, that it would change the way we actually live, that we might live for you more fully every day, that we might serve humbly and boldly the way that John served, we might follow his example. And God, for those who have, who have not chosen to follow Jesus, that they would taste and see that you are good. That they would give their lives over to you to experience the fullness of all that you are. Pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.